The following audio is from Redeemer Anglican Church in Richmond, Virginia. More information about Redeemer is available online at RedeemerRVA.org. Amen. You may be seated. Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 59. It's on page 477. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God and his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Amen. Let's stand together now for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 18. You're going to find that on page 877 in one of your pew Bibles. I think it's printed, uh, page 828 in the liturgy, but that's wrong. It's page 877. I'll give you a moment to turn there. We're going to the gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Friends, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Amen. Let's be seated. Well, 
those of you who have been around Redeemer for any length of time will know that uh, one of our practices as a church every summer uh, is actually for me to take a step back from preaching uh, for a length of time. This year, it's, it's nine weeks. Um, so I'm taking a step back from preaching for nine weeks this summer in order to do a couple things, in order for me to focus my attention on careful uh, strategy and kind of forward-thinking work, thinking about where Redeemer as a church is going in the coming uh, years. It's also a chance for me to spend extra kind of concerted time in prayer for the health and vitality of our church family. Um, it's also a time for me to do some careful planning uh, for what kind of sermon series and preaching we're gonna do uh, in the coming year. So a lot of what I'm doing right now is reading and studying for things that we're gonna learn together in the fall and winter and spring of, of next year. But you know, it's also good for another reason. And I do this uh, because it's good for me to not only be a preacher, it's good for me to sit underneath somebody else's preaching because my heart needs that too, just like yours does. So um, what we do every summer is we have a, a number of preachers, both from inside and outside our church, come and, uh, and stand here in the pulpit and exposit God's word for us. And so today, the Reverend Danny Heineman, um, who is our church planter in residence, is here to preach to us. Some of you uh, will know Danny. Those of you who don't, here's what you need to know. Uh, Danny is our church planter in residence and what that means is that he is currently in a season of gathering together a team of people who will then be commissioned and sent out from Redeemer in order to establish a new parish, a new church here in the city of Richmond. And their plan is to plant a new church called All Souls Anglican Church somewhere south of the river, maybe Manchester, maybe Forest Hills, maybe Bonaire, maybe as far south as North Carolina. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't know, somewhere south of the yeah, river. Um, and I know a number of you are planning on being a part of that team and that's a wonderful thing. And so Danny, we're so glad that you're here. We wish you could stay forever, but we're <laughs> glad that we have you for a season. Thanks. Let me say a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for my brother and coworker and friend, Danny. Lord, I pray that you would speak through him to us this morning. Would you open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your word to us through your servant, Danny. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, as Dan said, I'm planting a church. So if you guys are interested in what we're doing and you haven't heard, uh, come find me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, any, even if you don't, if you, even if you know that you're not gonna come with us to plant the church but would like to pray for us, uh, please come and talk to me. And uh, I will tell you how to get in the loop on uh, conversation and communication on what we're doing. Uh, we're in the season of ordinary time, which is this season when we join the church around the world um, with a, a time, a period of sustained consideration of not just one aspect of Jesus's life, which is what we do in kind of the other seasons of the church calendar, but the whole, we kind of try to take the whole work of God, we take it all up and we, we push the good news of God, come to us in Jesus into the nooks and crannies of our lives. And, and part of our journey through ordinary time this year, which extends into the fall, is this tradition that we have at Redeemer, which is taking 10 weeks or so every summer to walk through the Psalms. So this is year six, I think, of Redeemer. So we're getting close to 60 Psalms that we've covered. Um, <clears throat> and that's what we're doing. Now the Psalms, as has been said by a lot of people, uh, you may have heard this before, they functioned when they were written and function still as a hymn book of sorts for the people of God. Uh, there are actually some Christian traditions that only sing Psalms in their worship. Uh, that's not us, but uh, that just gives you a sense of like the Psalms are, are a very core piece of what it means to speak as a Christian in the world. And so in these 10 weeks or so through the summer, what we're doing is we're practicing. 
We're practicing receiving these psalms as Christian scripture. Now that sounds kind of basic, right? It's like in the Bible, but it's not actually that simple. Um, and it's especially not uh, that simple with the, uh, the psalm that we have today. Now, <clears throat> uh, what we're doing together is we are practicing receiving the psalms as Christian scripture and we are in, in so doing practicing learning how to be human beings who have uh, longings that are unmet, who have joys and deep sorrow and fears and pain and all of those kinds of things. And we're learning how to express those things to God and to ourselves. And so this week and last week, we're faced with some of the more challenging texts in the Psalms and maybe in the whole Bible. They're, they're, we're looking at Psalms that are like the cursing Psalms. More technical word for that is the imprecatory Psalms. Uh, now, one of the ways that God talks about the way that we should relate to the Bible is that we should eat them, eat it. We should eat it, we should ingest it. And what, what God means when he tells us this is we should take the scriptures into ourselves and that we should be so familiar with them that they become a part of us. And if that's true, and it is true, then these are not, these Psalms, Psalm 58 and 59 in particular, uh, they're not like easy drinking. It's not a tender slice of filet that we are gonna take in and really savor. This is like a piece of meat that has a bunch of gristle in it, maybe a bone. Actually, there's no bones, but gristle. It's gonna be hard for us to chew through and, and, and yet we should still swallow it. We should still eat it. Now, what these Psalms do, and one of the reasons why they are tough for us to chew as we take them in, is that in addition to just making us uncomfortable, with some of the language that they use. They actually, what they do is they thrust before us, right in front of us, in a way that, that, that keeps us from being able to look away, uh, the critical, the absolutely critical question of justice, of righteous anger. Like what does it mean to be angry about the evil that happens in the world? And where and when will we find justice? And, and how should we respond in this life to the evil that we see? when we walk the streets of our cities, when we read the news, when we look in the mirror. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And before we get started, I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and for your word to us, and even for these texts that, that get us off balance. Um, these texts that feel difficult uh, to understand, that challenge many of our, our grids, the way that we think about uh, the world and our place in it. God, I pray that you'd be present with us now as you promised to be and that you'd be at work in us in the reading and the preaching of your word, um, shaping us into better lovers of God and of our neighbor. And I pray for myself that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Um, so many of you know, some of you don't, that my wife is pregnant. She's right there. She's very cute. I didn't tell her, say I was gonna point her out, but she's very cute. Uh, didn't mean that to sound demeaning, sorry. Is that demeaning? Okay, all right, keep going. Um, I just think she's really beautiful when she's pregnant. Uh, she's doing five weeks. And that kind of snuck up on me, I don't know. Um, and I think one of the things that we've been talking about as the, the uh, due date has gotten earlier or, or sooner, closer, is this reality, if you've had more than one child, uh, that you kind of forget what it was like at the beginning with every one. Or at least that's what we do. Um, <clears throat> and I started coming back to, um, you know, the, it's just hard when babies are newborns. It, you don't sleep much. There's a lot of hard work you're doing. I think part of the reason 
I think, you know, one of the gifts of having newborns is that you don't sleep so much that you don't really remember how hard it was. And then that kind of makes you feel free to have another child, you know, because you don't remember how bad it was. But we're starting to remember some of those things. And one of those things that Emily and I were talking about recently is the, uh, with little babies, the regularity of diaper blowouts. You know what I'm talking about? I don't need to describe it. Um, that's one of those things that we're not looking forward to that I haven't really thought about in a while. And, um, you know, it's one of those things when, when, you're, when you've got a new baby and they're a couple weeks old, they're really tiny and you've got them like bouncing in a little bouncy seat and you're giggling and cooing at them and maybe tickling them, trying to, you know, connect and figure out what you're gonna do with this little life that you've been entrusted with. And it's just so joyous and warm and, you know, you're like, this is amazing. And then you pick them up and it's just brown on the back. It's going everywhere. It seems like the diaper that you put on them to catch all of this stuff is actually just like sprayed it everywhere. Um, and you, you, the first time, at least the first time that you do this, and maybe, maybe for me the, you know, I don't know, hundredth time when we have our new child, when you pick the baby up with the first blowout and it's just, it's a total mess. It seems like everything you do is just spreading the mess everywhere else is, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I think uh, that's a little bit like reading the imprecatory Psalms. So you've got this thing that you love, the Bible, that makes a lot of sense to you. And then you come across these texts and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. What do I do with this? We feel this way because what happens when we read the imprecatory Psalms is that we're confronted with the reality that human beings are contradictory creatures. Um, we have, we have this profound capacity for beauty, for creativity, for love. And yet all these powers that we have, these gifts that God has given us, we can take those and we can turn them against one another, against the flesh of other human beings. This happens all over the world. It has happened today. We all experience this contradiction in our lives, both with things that were done for and against us and then things that we do for and against other people. We all know this. And when we experience this, one of the deepest and most difficult questions of this life is posed to us, especially to those of us in the room who believe that there is a God who exists and, and is sovereign over all that is. And the question is, where is he? What is he doing? Why does this sort of thing, these, these, these instances of, of, of terrible violence and wickedness that occur in the world, and I was gonna list some things out, but it was so vile, and I knew that there were gonna be kids in the room today, that I decided not to listen. But I just looked at the news from this week, and there have been all kinds of heinous acts of violence done against the bodies of other human beings by human beings. And it happens every day all over the world. Why does this sort of thing continue to happen? Why do these things seem so, so cyclical, these cycles of violence? Do, are they going to continue in perpetuity? Or in the words of David from this psalm, can you hear this? Can you hear the bloodthirsty howls of the wicked? Can you hear the bitter groans of the oppressed? Who can hear us? Now this is a psalm of lament. All the imprecatory psalms are psalms of lament. This is one that's written by someone, a man who is suffering under the thumb of an oppressor. And his suffering prompts these questions. That is, do you hear this? What will be done? 
Or better, when and how will justice come? Now the word of God teaches us that through this psalm and then through the rest of the Bible that there is nothing in this world that will not be brought into the light of God's justice. Everything that is done, in the, in the, that is done hidden in the darkness will one day be brought to light. God hears the howls of the wicked and the groans of the oppressed and his justice is in no way deficient. And yet, never forget that the violence which we, all of us, in some measure, are victims. This violence is yet something that we perpetuate ourselves in some measure. And so our righteous anger, which is, which is, which is true, it is right to be upset about wickedness in the world. Our righteous anger is always and unavoidably tied up with a tension that is not resolved in this life between our own sin and our own violence against other human beings. And so the imprecatory Psalms sit us down right in between the wickedness that we know is in the world that we rightly call wicked and then our own wickedness that we perpetrate in the world. Now, one of the, one of the ways I think of summarizing what the imprecatory Psalms do to us, in particular this Psalm, is what uh, one of the old theologians uh, said about the cross and the thieves on the cross, right? So when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves on either side of him. One called out for his mercy, one mocked him. One was saved, one was damned, right? And the phrase is this, do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. And do not presume, because one of the thieves was damned. So that's how we're gonna work through this text today. Do not despair and do not presume. First, do not despair. When we are confronted with like the acute forms of violence in this world that rightly uh, motivate us to call out and to call them what they are and to ask God's justice to rain down. I want to tell you that you do not need to despair. This, this Psalm teaches us not to despair. God hears the howls of the wicked. This is a fundamental question posed to us by the Psalm. If you look verses one through seven, David begins to pray to God, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. And then he continues, he says, awake, come, meet me and see. You, Lord, God of hosts, God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. And this is, this is, this is such a vivid description of what it is to encounter like real evil in the world. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips for who they think will hear us. Who will hear us? There are wicked people in the world. You know this. And some of these people are, for David, looking for him. And they are out for blood. For just a little context on what's happening in this psalm, if you look at the subtitle in this psalm, it'll tells you a little bit about what was going on. This is a psalm written by David, who was a king of Israel, about what happened to him. It's described in 1 Samuel verses, or chapters 18 and 19. So you had a guy named Saul. Saul was the first king over Israel, and he was, uh, like, not great. Didn't do a great job. He looked apart, but he had no integrity. And David had both been appointed by the prophet Samuel and uh, as, the next, uh, as the next king, but he was also just, like, better at being a king. Better at what you need to be a good leader. He was braver, he was more successful, he was more charismatic, people liked him. 
So much so that they decided that they were gonna make him king. And that made Saul upset. And so Saul tried to eliminate this threat to the throne several times, in fact. So a lot of the Psalms, several of the Psalms that David wrote, and David wrote a lot of them, are about this period of time in his life when he is running from Saul who's trying to kill him. 1 Samuel 19, David's in his house. Saul sends some assassins to come to his house at night to kill him. He escapes. But this Psalm is about Dave, is, are David's emotions coming out of him when he knows that the king's men are coming to take his life. And he writes, deliver me. I didn't ask for this. I didn't do anything to deserve this specific form of evil, God. You anointed me. You've given me these victories over Goliath and over all of Israel's enemies. These enemies, in fact, who scoff at your name and your power and seek to disgrace you and your people. And so deliver me from the wickedness of these people who are so bent on violence that they've become like dogs. This is how he describes them. Who snarl, who prowl about the city, verse 14, wandering for food, who will howl if they are not satisfied. Listen, uh, the imprecatory Psalms, if they are to be prayed, are only ever to be prayed as a sort of nuclear option. A last resort in the face of heinous evil. And this is because while, of course, all sin, which this is true, all sin is a violation of creation and a, a rupture of the relationship that we have uh, between us and God, this relational fabric that holds the very world together, that is what all sin does. It's also true that there are some sins that are more grievous in the sight of God than others. There are some modes or expressions of evil that are more acute than others and that human beings can have and do descend into a mode of action, a way of being in the world that is almost, almost subhuman. And as a victim of that kind of evil, some of you in this room may be victims of that kind of evil. It often seems like that kind of evil, that kind of violence, that kind of oppression and corruption is just the way of the world. And nobody hears it and nobody cares. Nobody hears the cries of those like dogs who prey on the weak and oppressed. And what I want you to hear is that to believe in the Christian God is to believe in a God who hears these howls. He hears the howls of wicked men and he hates it. And he will execute perfect justice when Jesus comes again. We say this in the creed every week. To be a Christian is to trust that this will happen, to be found, as the gospel reading said, by God when he returns to be faithful. The imprecatory Psalms are calls for God to execute justice, to say what you feel, but to qualify it, all according to the just judgment of God. So God hears the howls of the wicked and he will judge them. And in that judgment, he will save those who suffer from that most acute form of despair that comes with an utter loss of hope. This is what God will do. Those who, those who have lost hope that all that is wrong will, will, ever, will ever be made right. To be a Christian is to one who will hang with, with, the, with every fiber of our being to the hope in the face of rank evil that not because we're optimists, but because Jesus has come back from the dead, that, that 
the wrong that is in the world will be made right. That, that this making right has actually begun in the resurrection of Jesus in his very body. Like this, the resurrection is like a down payment and a guarantee that the world that we live in is not destined for ruin, but for glory. And that began in the body of Jesus and it will be applied to the whole world. And this good work that God began in the resurrection of Jesus and in you will be brought to completion. So do not despair. God hears the howls of the wicked and he will judge it now or upon his return. But, and this is critical, do not presume. That is, do not take this psalm upon your lips without fear and trembling because to invoke God's judgment upon those who do evil is also to make, to open yourself up to God's judgment upon yourself. You know, I wonder how this psalm read to David uh, years later when he was confronted by God over his uh, murder and his adultery. You guys might know the story. Um, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story and he tells him a story about a rich man who's abusing and oppressing a poor man and then David's rage burns against this oppressor. But what David doesn't realize is that Nathan is telling him a story about himself. He's telling him a story about, a, about what he did when he saw a woman that he lusted after, when he had sex with her, got her pregnant. This is what David did. Got her pregnant, wanted to hide it. And so he sent her husband off to war into a dangerous part, a dangerous place in that war where he knew he would be killed and he was killed. This is what David did. Nathan comes to him and tells him this story. David's rage burns against the oppressor. And Nathan gives him these haunting words and he says, you are the man. There are times when we ought to pray for God's justice to roll down like waters and his righteousness to come down like an ever-flowing stream because of how bad things can get and they can get bad. But we will all also be judged. And to invoke the judgment of God is to open yourself up to the vulnerability of God's justice as well. But also remember that when justice with the capital J, that is the word of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, when he appeared in this world as the king, he came to laugh. I don't know if you noticed that. It, it talks repeatedly in this Psalm and in other places uh, that, that God in heaven laughs at the schemes of evil men who seek to use their power to oppress and uh, to do violence upon other people. God sits in the heavenly places, Psalm 2, and laughs. And I think one of the ways you can understand the life of Jesus is like, is basically turning the, the evil, the evil uh, plans of oppressive men and women in this world into a joke. I mean, listen, he, the king of the universe comes as a baby. He's born in a stable. He's trained as a carpenter. He rides in in a triumphant procession into his capital city, not on a stallion, but on a donkey. Now, I don't, like a lot of times when we talk about this kind of stuff, this is what Jesus did when he uh, lived his life in the world. We talk about these kinds of things as an example of the humility of God, the humility of Jesus, which is true. That's all true. But I also think it's a way of understanding what the Psalms are hinting at here, which is that uh, all of the things that these uh, evil men in the world think that they are um, doing with no consequence, God just laughs at them. He turns it into a joke. 
He makes it look ridiculous that those who think themselves powerful, who think that their bloodthirsty howls will go unheard, those, all of those things become a joke. He comes actually to turn their rage into a joke because he submits to it. And he offers his own flesh to satisfy their thirst for blood and to pray for them as he did so and to pray for you and to pray for me. For we know not, we do not know the fullness of what we do when we sin. And he prays for us as we do it. And so, Redeemer, do not despair. God hears the howls of the wicked. He hears the groans of the oppressed and his anger burns against the wicked men and women in this world and his heart melts for the victims. And his judgment will come now or in the future. And it will be so pure that none of us will say that it was either not enough or too much. But equally so, Redeemer, do not presume that an imprecatory psalm upon your lips is an imprecation only against other people and not potentially yourself. I want you to allow this, I want you to allow the imprecatory psalms to draw you into this tension. A tension that I can't and won't try to resolve for you. This tension between our own sin and the sins of others. And I want it to cast you down. I want you to allow it to cast you down upon the love of God in Christ all over again. As we eat his flesh broken and his blood spilled by humans become beasts who thought that they had devoured God and so disposed of him. I want you to see how he laughs. Look at this table and see how he laughs at the schemes of wicked men who think that their evil will go unanswered. Look at this table and see how he laughs and laugh with him. Amen, let me pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. Uh, Thank you for the way that your scriptures to us um, especially in texts like these, feel totally beyond us. Um, I thank you that you, uh, that you're not someone, some God who is able to be controlled by us, but that you are far more wild than uh, at least I give you credit for. And we thank you for your justice too. God, I pray that as we consider this Psalm this morning and maybe even this week, the, that you would be through that consideration and sitting in the tension between our own sins and the sins of the world, that you would make us into better lovers of God and of our neighbor. And I pray for these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.